0: We are recording? Excellent. Uh, Hi everyone, welcome to the um, uh, first panel of this fact. I am your kind host, Naut. I will be moderating this panel. Uh, And uh, there's someone in the front here who will be moderating a Disney Animators panel tomorrow. If you are here tomorrow, please visit that one as well, it'll be really good. A lot better than this one, because I am a neophyte. Uh, Well, you know i do my yes, best. But, but this one's about me. I, 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 d- yes, yes, absolutely. Be That's true. Um, uh, Tad Stones will, uh, will be uh, present at both panels, so they will be epic. Epic. <laughs> yeah. It'll be like a, a gigantic DuckTales episode. I don't there know. There you go. Yeah. So, right uh, like I said, sure. we have Tad Stones here. I um, uh, took the um, immense creative liberty of calling this panel Let's Get Dangerous. Uh, by the way, um, uh, we uh, I guess all of us, uh, unless there are some French-speaking people uh, up in here, and I don't know the French dub, but we all saw uh, Darkwing Duck and DuckTales in a, a Dutch-language version. And we had some pretty good voice actors, and they translated Let's Get Dangerous as Laten we lekker link gaan doen. And then I have to do my Dutch accent, because that is <laughs> the only way I know how. You are, I guess... Uh, most yes, I always get mixed up of yeah.
1: what Darkwing, he's Darkwing Duck to me, but he's sure. Mr. Mask, he's different uh, names uh, he throughout was, the He world, was Darkwing so. Duck, yeah. Ah, okay. yeah
0: we, we kept the name. Um, uh, but because um, Launchpad would say DW, and W is two syllables, he ah. would have to go, uh, yeah, DAW, but what was the J for? Well, nobody knows, but he, he, did know. so he did something. He <laughs> did something to, to sync it up, yeah. yeah. And that that was always funny. And w- w- it, this was an, a genuine discussion among teenagers where we were wondering, that is not yeah. n- not something. Uh, w- w- what is he saying? Why is he using the J? But anyway, um, I, I guess um, Darkwing is probably your most famous creation.
1: I think so. I mean, it it's certainly. I mean, it's Darkwing Duck and uh, Rescue Rangers. Yeah. Uh, are the two biggest ones. But Darkwing, I think, outdoes Rescue Rangers, which surprised a lot of people at the time because he was a new character. Uh, where Rescue Rangers uh, were stars, yeah. <laughs> the old <laughs> cartoons, at least yeah. in the comics, when they did the new comics, uh, the comic publisher who first did it, um, Boom Studios, uh, they thought they should start with Rescue Rangers, and because that would have been a, a, well, they started with Ducktales, and then. They talked about Rescue Rangers and the editor, Aaron Sparrow, who went on to eventually write the comics at other publishers, uh, really said, no, Darkwing is, is the one. And they did it and it was a huge hit. Rescue Rangers, not so much. And in America, you don't get comics on newsstands. You have to go to comic shops. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, if you collect superhero comics, there's a good chance that one of your first superheroes was Darkwing Duck. Exactly. Um, so it it made sense to me that that yeah. he'd be
0: more. popular. Well, um, I I was going to go for a retrospective, but seeing as we're there, um, uh, we can skip around. Yeah, I certainly yeah. Did well, in the I, shows, I, so. I I intend to. Yeah. Um, so Darkwing Duck, um, the um, version everybody knows is where he is, I guess. Um, on the surface, most inspired by superheroes, or at least somethi- something like a, a, a Batman, and um, the, 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 the pulp characters? Yes.
1: I mean, originally, um, I was ordered to do, uh, not Darkwing Duck, yeah. Double O Duck, yeah, that we had done an um, uh, episode of DuckTales uh, that was called Double O Duck, after the James Bond yeah. character, obviously, and featured Launchpad McQuack and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who was running the studio at the time, he said, I want. You, I like that name. We are always expected to do a quality show and an entertaining show, but uh, Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg always liked the tricky names because they said if there's more interest, more people will come to sample your show and then it's up to you to deliver. And um, in fact, the origin of Rescue Rangers way back was a Miami Mice, yeah. because there was such a popular television show called Miami, Miami Vice. Vice yes. Yeah, and uh, they d- said, d- How do you do that? Y- with you drugs? you they Disney oh, boys. D- you
0: yeah. Disney boys really liked your puns. Yeah. <laughs> Good we cut. always do, yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, they just thought that was a clever thing, but then legally we quickly changed it to Metro Mice, uh, which was actually like a mouse police station and uh, I looked back at some old artwork and they were actually holding guns, like not gadget guns, guns. I said, what were we thinking of? Uh, But that, we did a sample script. It was uh, Rescue Rangers created by myself and Jim Magon and on that Metro, my script was also done by Carl Gears who then went on to do the Winnie the Pooh television show. Um, In that script, the villain was a character called Fat Cat which was the same fat cat that ended up Rescue Rangers. Anyway, Miami Mice to Metro Mice to let's get it out of the police station and we'll just make a generic Rescue Rangers starring Kit Colby, who's a new character who wore a flight jacket. Um, And his team was a nearsighted eagle, Camille the chameleon, who could blend in anything. She could do plaid, but it hurt. an Asian uh, cricket uh, uh, called Chirpsing, I think. Later, I guess, appeared in, in Mulan. Uh, right, yeah. And then there was a kangaroo rat called Billabong, who's pretty much Monterey Jack, but he looked different. And then there was Gadget, who was the same Gadget, and Zipper, who was the, the same. They lasted. Anyway, at a meeting, and I know this is far away from Darkwing Duck, but. Yeah, at a meeting with uh, to present this to Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, I had been told to come up with a way to refresh DuckTales for a second season, and I pitched Space Duck, which they didn't like, uh, Robo Duck, uh, which they really did like, and named him Fenton Crackshell, and he became Gizmo Duck in the United States. Um, and I just did the name and the concept. The character was really created by those people on the show, and then Bubba Duck. And then I presented, we, or Jim and I uh, presented Rescue Rangers, and they said, we really like this show, but we don't know that main character. I mean, he just doesn't, he's not there yet. And I very stupidly said, uh, was it because you're not familiar with him? Well, they weren't familiar with any of these people, but they pointed to, it, they said, no, we understood RoboDuck and Bubba Duck immediately with just two sentences. That's what we need for him. So the meeting moved on and DuckTales was so, coming out so well at the time. Uh, we went down, what other classic Disney characters could we do? And we start with Mickey Mouse and Michael Eisner from day one was very protective of Mickey. And he said, no, no, we don't want to do him yet. Uh, Donald Duck, is, well, he, showed, he shows up in DuckTales. He's very hard to animate, hard to understand. Let's, let's hold off on a while. Got to goofy. They said, "Oh yeah, do anything so with goofy." Th- th-
0: just as an aside, is that the reason why um, it was Scrooge and not and not Donald?
1: No, no. It was the Ducktales was created with the Carl Barks comics in mind. You know, although that the original show is farther away from Carl Barks than the new show is. Um, anyway, the the. Uh, we went down the list. Goofy had always been an everyman character, so they had no problem, and, and we did many tries at Goofies as a detective, as different things, um, we weren't going to do Pluto, the dog. <laughs> so, but then as soon as we said Chip and Dale, Michael Eisner said, put those guys in that show, and Jeffrey said, home run, Said so that was it. They said, it's a great show, but it's not a home run yet, and that, that, that's what changed it. And once we had two characters instead of Kit Colby, and the name Kit turned up in Tailspin, of course, um, we had to change the other characters because you can't have too many characters on a team in a show because they don't get enough screen time and and humor. Uh, so we reduced it down to the res- Chippendales Rescue Rangers, what we saw. Rescue Rangers. <laughs> okay. So from uh, Miami Mice, Metro Mice, Rescue Rangers, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. So with Darkwing, it was Double O Duck, a secret agent show. And I I was not excited about it because I felt like it was just another parody show uh, before there was Austin Powers. Still, there had been hundreds of versions of of parody spy show, but I did it. And they had the characters that you would expect, the the gadgets and all of that. but I felt it had no Disney heart. It didn't have a, a sense of family to it that was important to us. Uh, but I presented it and Jeffrey Katzenberg said this is just a parody. It doesn't have Disney heart. It doesn't have a sense of family to it. And for a little bit I'm going yes, I agree. <laughs> and Then I realize for I'm in trouble. <laughs> and what I look back recently and realize what was very rare is he told me to do it over as opposed to Okay, we're going to get somebody else. You know, I was told to do it over. So we looked on how to do a a secret agent show in a different way, and we already had a you know a drawing, not of as he looks now, but he had a white tuxedo. You probably have an earlier. There's the that was the chip. There's the Kit Colby Rescue Rangers. This uh, one. Yeah. So with the early designs, one of my story editors who. Back then, we didn't hire people just for a project. We actually carried them from year to year. So you could call in creative people and just for ideas. And uh, Dwayne Capizzi ended up as one of my story editors. But he looked at that and he said, boy, I look at that and I think of the Green Hornet in the shadow. And that, in my mind, because I love that old stuff, I was not I'm not that old. I don't remember them from radio, but I knew them from both comics and, and hearing and, uh, recordings and, and all of that.
0: They're, they're very much part of uh, an, an American cultural heritage, these yes. pulp characters. Yeah,
1: and the pulp magazines arguably created uh, superhero yeah, comics. The, the Batman for certain, for instance. Exactly.
0: Uh, uh, but Batman just the idea is, is, uh,
1: of, uh, of uh, the costume, the adventurer, the the guy who would fight crime and some who would wear kind of a costume. Um, Anyway, then we had something different. Now, now, we had a smaller group instead of a big team like Doc Savage had, which we said, oh, that's a way of doing a super, uh, secret agent background supporters without doing Q and the typical stuff. Uh, but then finally, the show didn't work as far as having Disney heart until we had the character of, in English, Goslin, his daughter. Uh, and eventually she became, the way we described it, what if Batman had a little girl who refused to stay at home? Pretty much the essence of of her relationship. Uh, That, now we had something to pitch, they liked it very much. Um, With Launchpad we add as a sidekick, instead of having many sidekicks, it was like, he, he was just, instead of a new character, he had already been, because of that early 00 duck, he was always in the background of the show. Uh, In the secret agent pitch, he was one of the assistants. Um, Anyway, we went out and we sold it as Double O Duck, and then the people, it was actually Cubby Broccoli, who had the rights to all the James Bond stuff, sent a legal letter saying, no, Double O isn't a thing. It was invented by Ian Fleming. We own it, you can't have it. (laughs) Uh, So We had to come up with a new name and and after you, when you create a character and you're thinking of them with one name, it's hard to switch and I couldn't think of anything. And Amazingly, our boss, one of the cheaper people on the planet, uh, which is why they loved him, although he was creative too, um, Gary Kreisel said, we'll have a contest on the staff. We'll have $500, and this is in like 1990 cash, <laughs> uh, $500 to so whoever comes up with a name. So everybody submitted names. It was Dangerous Duck, Dead-Eyed Duck, Doofy Duck, in all sorts of D words, things that were whole different things. Um, and then one of our story editors on a different show, Alan Burnett, uh, came up with the name Darkwing. And it, I said, that's fantastic. And, and I said, but that's what he thinks he is in his head, but I want to add duck to it which is silly, so it's the adventure and the, and the silly. And um, it wasn't even close. It wasn't like, oh, these are the top five names. It was this is the name and a bunch of junk. <laughs> so Alan got $500 and then in a little while left to go to Warner Brothers where he helped create the original Batman animated show. I was show. gonna say,
0: that that, that's yeah. uh,
1: And Alan only recently retired, he did all that. And he was the first one who understood what Bruce Tim and those guys wanted in the story. And uh, so we always say that he, the, we warmed him up with the Duck Knight before he did the Dark Knight. Because
0: he, he d- did did he leave pretty quickly after?
1: It was fairly soon. I mean, he was on for a while. I used to think it was quite soon, but yeah. I, then I saw some other stuff written. Because like um, uh,
0: at, l- at least at the start, because the Darkwing had less of a... Uh, TV lifespan than uh, Batman did uh, well, on TV. But they they started pretty much around the same time, those two shows. Yeah,
1: and they... Actually, Darkwing is one of those Disney afternoon shows that has more episodes because generally it it wasn't like... Well, it wasn't like today if a show is popular, you keep doing episodes. Back then it was like 65 episodes is all you needed to be rerun forever, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so Darkwing is only supposed to be sixty-five episodes. Then the which, is, which
0: to me, still seems a lot, especially in the, an animated series.
1: Yeah, well, back th- again. That yeah. was that was the standard yeah, back then yeah. with He-Man and Ninja Turtles yeah, and Transformers. S- They're th- all th- done. 65 and that was some, episodes some sort there.
0: of syndication thing. The, the yeah, 65? it was because
1: of the s- of the syndication. It gave you on saturday morning you would typically on a new show do 13 episodes for 13 weeks of programming and And they said kids would watch them more instead of 26 in live action uh and then whatever reason that 13 with five days a week is 65. however while we were working on it the abc network uh, before disney bought them wanted it for their saturday morning they had heard about it and so it was we let them choose from shows in work so they could look at shows that were almost completely done scripts storyboards which is a great advantage however when they tried to give us notes we said um, no <laughs> if you don't like that one we will take because we didn't show them everything we just showed a few shows because we didn't want them to have all the great episodes so they ended up with many of the strong ones um, we said if you don't like this we'll just take it back it's off the table. Here's a different one to look at. And, and so and I got through 13 episodes without any notes from them. But what was wonderful, because even two years later, they wouldn't have done it this way. They said, None, now we need 13 new episodes to fill up syndication, which let us do that. And then eventually ABC wanted a second season. And that brought us up to 91 episodes, which was the most at the time. Whereas Batman, in many shows, which have a large merchandising reason to, to exist, you keep doing episodes, and that's why there's always new Batman shows with new designs, uh, and why you go into a toy store and right. you see Flame Batman, Arctic Cape Batman, you know, yeah, yeah. multi-winged Batman. You know, it's just because kids tend to want to buy the heroes, and uh, you need variations so they buy more toys. Yeah. Uh, but, but
0: uh, when you say um, ABC got a lot of the good episodes, you you shopped a show like Darkwing around between uh, channels. No, no, or networks.
1: No, we had th- we had the syndication package. That was right. the business, and then this other was was on top of it. It was it was like we didn't expect it, but we didn't want to give them. If we showed them anything, they could pick just the very best. So we showed them. I don't know five at a time, whatever it was. Uh, I didn't have to be involved in in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, sure, you sure. know, I just say, well, here's some to pick. Um, but these, so that was, so these, that, so that, so it wasn't shopped around. They got to usually in a in a Saturday. And this is true of the second season on ABC. I then pitch them premises at the very early stage, and they say. Oh, I, I really like this one. This one, even though it would tie into the series, they don't care. It's, it's, it's about their Saturday morning. Um, and then I show them the outlines and then the scripts. And I think they got to see the storyboards, although I don't think they gave many notes at that point. Yeah. And then they get the final show. Right. And we work with standards and practices, which prohibit us from doing certain things, perhaps. And would give us a different type of notes that we didn't have to do in syndication. Although, because we were a Disney show, there wasn't a big Yeah, there wasn't
0: very much danger of too much violence or... or Well,
1: we we were violent, but it was cartoon. But even then, Saturday morning didn't necessarily allow the same cartoon violence. But once I called up the ABC person in charge of standards and practices, uh, the censors, if you will, Uh, And I said, I have an episode that's not for ABC. I just want your opinion. I said, I'm going to kill Darkwing Duck by he's not wearing a helmet on the rat catcher and he slams into a wall. How is that playing? And she was very supportive. She said, no, that's good because it shows the bad result of not doing the safe thing. But that's why in the Gummy Bears, they had an underground... uh, Roller coaster type of thing, and they always had to do a scene where they put the seat belts on. That was from the the sure. television well, network. I,
0: I, yeah, I can get it there, but in in a show as let's say cartoonishly violent as as Darkwing, where um, everyone gets gets m- millions of tons of bricks on their hands. They heads were very.
1: They I will. I'll say two things. Uh, one, they're very cautious. Uh, the strangest notes, and I forgot what show this was. I was told not to we couldn't break a pot because a broken pot could sound like broken glass and kids might try to imitate the sound of broken glass? <laughs> <laughs> what kind uh, of kids are uh, you uh, raising? I, my kids don't uh, do that, uh, well, you know? Uh, uh, every, every What's that sound? <laughs> I? Yes, it's this! <laughs> I want to break uh, it. it yeah. Especially,
0: the, the, um, uh, every time you hear about the, um, the black hole of studio notes, mm-hmm. Uh, y- you, you hear some sort of thing and you think that this, this cannot be real, but the everyone uh, has we these were, stories, it has to be. We, it, were, very d- lucky,
1: we were very lucky We very lucky in syndication, and this is more true than Gen- Disney generally would assign you a mid-level executive, uh, and this is all within the department, so these are people you see every day, uh, just to be an objective eye, someone who knows what the show was sold as, to try to keep you on track, like Tailspin was uh, sh- very much pitched as an adventure show, and then it started turning into kind of a sitcom gag thing, and at one point they came down and they said the next ten shows have to be Indiana Jones type adventures, and so the mix was fine, but that was a case where the sh- creators of the show decided to go in a different direction it was it was an okay direction, but The executive said, no, you're getting away from that. So we were very lucky uh, in syndication back then. Once we sold the show to Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, we didn't get notes from the syndicators because they were us. Uh, But we had a studio executive who would give notes and we were very lucky in that. Our executive was Greg Wiseman, who was very new at the time. And Greg uh, came from... Among other things, well, you know the name because he created gargoyles. That one, yeah. yeah. uh, But Greg used to be an editor at DC Comics and in fact, wrote uncredited many Captain Atom comics. Um, So when we made some Silver Age reference, Greg knew what we were talking about and might even suggest more things. Uh, So he was an incredible accent and a very creative person himself. The thing that Greg said that I really appreciated that I never repeated to the boss because I knew the boss would say, you know, what? <laughs> Greg said, look, you don't have to take my notes,
0: <laughs>
1: but I'm going to point them out and passionately argue with him. Greg would argue for hours for things he believed in. He could wear you down. It was, took a lot of energy, but there was no way the boss would have had anybody would be allowed to say, you don't have to take my notes, but you know, generally we did because he understood the show and yeah. the characters and they had the comic book background and uh have
0: those notes evolved is this is is this um better now
1: well i have been away from it for yeah. r- for so long but i i don't hear as many complaints yeah. it's usually something you get early on yeah. and um Th- the last thing and you, and you basically don't write toward the trouble yeah. it's like if 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 you know a network doesn't like broken glass, you're not going to come up with a villain made. I'm made of glass. I am glass man and I throw sharp yeah. shards and cut people in half. Even though you did a cartoony, you, maybe you shouldn't do that way. You know, you would come up with the liquidator and he splashes people with water, you know. Uh, so the, the more you work with it, you just don't go toward the trouble. So it's only. You know, every once in a while you get something and you, and here's the, I'm surprised at myself that I can actually remember things after I ramble. The second thing about it, because as many creative people scoff at notes like that, they say, oh, what, for instance, one of the networks, I forget which one, I think, and this is ancient history anyway in CBS, that you couldn't use a rope because some child had Uh, on Scooby-Doo had imitated something and had uh, injured, if not killed himself, Um, and so that was it. They weren't going to take it, and people make fun of that, but the second week that Darkwing was on the air, maybe the third week, we got a call from, I want to say somewhere down south, that a child had imitated Darkwing Duck and almost died. Uh, by putting on a, uh, like a cape thing or something like that um, and it almost choked and and the, our boss actually called the people because he was very concerned and found out that no, no he it wasn't about Darkwing specifically it was, but kids, his friends knew that he always, or the family knew he always watched this show uh, so it wasn't really based on it but that sobers you up when you say you make fun of something, and you get a phone call that a child was injured, you take those notes seriously. So why why have a big fight about broken glass? Yes. You know, if yeah. I can tell the story with ice, Absolutely. you know,
0: well, I am uh, reminded of uh, a note when uh, DC was going through the New Fifty Two that Batman couldn't sit. Well, that's a different. He kind wasn't of allowed note. to sit
1: probably too hard to draw, too. He <laughs> doesn't look no, dramatically. Th- this,
0: this came from on high. The Batman was sitting somewhere, and the note was, you can't draw him sitting. Uh, uh, the Batman doesn't sit. And, and, and there was some sort of logic.
1: I can see, you know, seriously, knowing how notes work, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be positive about that one, and saying, I am trying to... The essence of this character is an action person. Sure. And once, once you sit it. him in a chair, He's like your dad sitting on a couch,
0: but he has his bat cave with his his uh, screens all over. Yeah, uh, and, and, and I think and that's a different sit situation. Him, yeah. So he, he, well, he s- gets tired. He, he likes a standing desk. He sits know? in his Batmobile.
1: <laughs> so, but I I would guess it's that sort of thing. And of course, in telling yeah. stories, people go for the, yeah. the humor of the story. But there's there is a logic, and sometimes it's so twisted, you're just shaking your head. But um, Most usually you are creative enough to find a different way. As far as premises, every once in a while on the internet, somebody hears about a premise that got passed on. Like I pitched something to ABC and it wasn't a real strong idea, but it was about Posaduck. When Darkwing was divided to Negaduck and and Posaduck, it's like, oh, let's do a story about the other one. and ABC said no. This th- we don't like it, and it was like, oh, I can see from their point of view, view, it's not worth going off that other thing. Um, but fans will find that. Well, why didn't we get that story? And it's like, I, it was just an idea. There was no story it's a, there. it's like that. Well, yeah, that that is definitely
0: something different. Um, uh, well, maybe not specifically. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, Goslin. Uh, and I I picked up somewhere that uh, the idea came to you to put in uh, put Goslin into the show because at that time you had a two-year-old girl.
1: Yeah, it was kind of like and she was very very active. Yeah. She's less so now. She's <laughs> well, I, th- th- th-
0: that was going 91. to be my question. Yeah. Um, it mentioned that you. Um, projected what she would be like at age 9 yeah. uh, on to uh, Grosland. So, so how, how did that, um, that turn into reality? Or it,
1: was, it was actually more than that. It was, um, I love Calvin and Hobbes, the comic strip, and the idea of a little boy who was such trouble, <laughs> you know. I said, what if it's that kind of character who is Darkwing's daughter? And again, my, and publicity made a lot out of it, of course. Uh, a two-year-old daughter who is very active. Um, you know, I could, I fuse those things together in my mind. Uh, and I love that type of character. I have some characters now that I'd like to do a story about in a science fiction adventure. And it, at the heart is the, a little boy who is, even though it's a space adventure, he is that much trouble and then some. Uh, I just find that very humorous in a character. And that led to a very active Girl character who is a strange sort of role model, you know, for a lot of girls. Um,
0: well, y- you've you've mentioned uh, science fiction a, a few times. You you tried um, the um, what was it now? You said something about about s- space. Oh, that something was I, I have a space character of your, now, yeah. but
1: back then it was just I read a lot of science fiction, um, much more than I do now. Mm-hmm. But and I always loved the movies of anything now it's so commonplace but anything with a monster or a spaceship or anything like that i would just gravitate to um and of course silver age comics of dc when i was a kid went through a very silly time with julius schwartz uh as editor and many gorillas on the cover or jimmy olsen would turn into a giant turtle man uh very silly batman run where batman had dressed up in a rainbow costume. Or, or uh, I remember a story where they were dealing with, they fell into another dimension and the aliens couldn't see the color red. So they rubbed themselves with red berry juice and could be invisible. I mean, just <laughs> silly, silly things. But that, especially the old Flash covers, uh, sure. I love where he's a puppet. He's an old man. He's incredibly fat. He's in... Um, alternate universes. And, uh, and of all of that the, the, I just remembered and, yeah. and inspired me. So even though that.
0: it was silly, it, it did leave a mark.
1: Yeah, very yeah, much and, so. And it, yeah. it,
0: it very much got you to pick those things up.
1: Because it was, it was and it's like early Jack Kirby ideas. Yeah. They're just big ideas, yeah. told very quickly um, Galactus, this incredibly powerful villain was created in like one and a half issues. The second half was finished that story yeah, and started, yeah. Johnny Storm goes to college. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you just fought a person who eats planets, and now you're going to college, where now that would be a multi-issue yeah, yeah, arc so and all that. Yeah. So just the idea of those big ideas condensed coming at you very fast. Yeah. And of course, but, uh, big uh, adventures, and, and big humor.
0: D- d- did you try to get science fiction uh, out at Disney as well?
1: After Darkwing, I created a science fiction show uh, who everybody on this, the staff and the, even the executives liked, except for the boss, he just didn't <laughs> see it. I mean, it just didn't connect with him. Um, like I had a, a, a little boy inventor type character and an, an alien cat girl that were the kids of the, of the series. And he, he would say kid singular because he was just looking at the boy and it was like, you're not connecting that to kids that, and especially you look at what has happened since then, the idea of a feline girl is a great character and all that. Um, and it was supposed to be wild humor. It would take what Darkwing did to do science fiction. Um, and the idea changed, I think, i trying to think of a rich version I actually pitched. Um, but I had an ex-military man had gotten in trouble because he has accused this very famous politician of wrongdoing. And then when he tries to, in a very, like the United Nations, except United Planets or something, tries to expose him, it's, he's been tricked and he's the one who looks wrong. Right. And so he loses his job and he ends up being a bodyguard for the kids of ambassadors. So he has these alien ambassadors, and he's their babysitter, basically. Uh, but then he starts hearing about things going on, and he's going to continue the good fight. But the kids find out about it, and they go along. And because they're different aliens, and it's a dark wing kind of world, they end up having the adventures together. This sounds like a good show. <laughs> um, it does. He did, he did not see it. That's kind of, that show keeps mutating in my head, yeah. and that's... Yeah. Ended That's up maybe, with something I would what, like to do yeah, now. Yeah. But um, it's, it's like the girl sprouted big claws and could use them like Wolverine, except she would slice through you and you'd turn into salami slices and then could pile up again, you know. Um, <laughs> so it was kind of taking that same thing to science fiction. Yeah. But not only did he say no, I did all that artwork on my own time. Uh, Without me knowing it, they then took the artwork and pitched a show to Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, but their show was just, they added a few things, and it just looked like The Jetsons, the old show. And when I heard about it, I said, that's just The Jetsons, which is exactly what Michael Eisner said. So it didn't go anywhere. But what they did that I was upset about, they poisoned the artwork. All my artwork was used to pitch a show that if I tried to, no, no, let me pitch my show again, it uh, wouldn't... Yeah, it wasn't. We, we've it, yeah. seen
0: this and we didn't like it. And either. what
1: happened is, um, that started, they had done The Little Mermaid on TV, it was very successful, and then they wanted me to do Aladdin, because I started at Disney Features, yeah. and in fact, I came to Features five months after Ron Clemens started, and two months before Glen Keane, the animator, started, that's where we were in, as, as newbies, um, and Ron, of course, did Aladdin with John Musker. Um, because of my feature background, they wanted me to take on the Aladdin show. And from then on, it went from Aladdin to Hercules, Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. I never got to do Buzz was close to. I never got to do another original show. We did. We yeah. developed an Atlantis show that was incredible. That was, you know, a, took those characters, but a very original show. Um, but I always regret not getting a chance to do that science yeah. fiction show back in the day where we could really make up new things.
0: And, and you were just uh, televising, as it were, existing ideas instead of making your own stuff as you, as you did when you started yeah. out. Yeah. I mean,
1: well, you, you always looked at the antagonist, the, the uh, characters are created The sure. villain, Mosenrath was, a, was like, what if he... Aladdin had a young, handsome adversary, which has become very popular with fan. And that Mosinrath was named after Bob Motts and Bill Roth, who were the writers. And I said, it's Motz and Roth. So it's and Wrath." Um, so yeah, I mean, you certainly in Buzz Lightyear, creating a whole bunch of new characters. But I used to work, I did several shows with uh, Bob Schoolia, Mark McCorkle, who created Kim Possible. Currently, they're on Big Hero right. 6. Uh, but when we got to Buzz Lightyear, they were in tra- they were executive producers too, so they were in charge of stories. I had input, but in previous shows, less on Hercules, that was very much of their show. but in previous shows that I was in charge of story, even though I was also in charge of the whole production. Uh, I added, I developed Buzz Lightly at Buzz Lightyear at first because they were busy with Hercules, and then they came over and they felt they had to start from scratch, but they took a lot of my characters. But that's when I realized what I love about working animation is, or in comics or anything, I love being a storyteller. And these are all tools or mediums to tell a story. And that really, after that, we, it was not a big problem but we went separate ways just because I, I want to be in charge of story again and I was on the Atlanta show and there were people on the staff who thought it was the best show we had, had ever done until it was cancelled and I had to fire 80 people in one day uh, because the movie didn't do well when it, yeah. when it was originally released but uh, that was other That's than some development that was the last big project yeah. I actually got animated at Disney you
0: know. And and you 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 simply left shortly after. Oh
1: no! Disney said, "See that door. Oh. <laughs> See what's on the other side of it." No, no. There was an executive, David Staten, who came in, and because I had been at Disney so long, just with little raises, I was making a lot of money. And I'll, I always say, if you're a storyboard artist and you're really good, you will always work until you. You know yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, end <laughs> up in a coffin. Die. yeah. It's your choice. But as you move up, if you're in charge of shows, there's fewer of those jobs. And there's always new people coming up with fresh ideas and things like that. Uh, I pitched a show that the channel was very interested in, really liked, but they had just picked up a show. Uh, mine was a 13-year-old girl who my line was. Just at the age when you expect to break out in pimples, uh, Emerin broke out in wings. And she finds out that she's half fairy, that she has a single mom mother, and you find out that dad wasn't an alien, he was a fairy. And suddenly she's got fairy powers that she can't control. And then she finds out there's this whole other world, and it kind of turned into a men in black, except that there was a balance and agreement in the fairy realm to keep secret because in ancient times when they weren't secret, you know, it led to war and and darkness and all that. Um, And it was that world that she, like there were Bigfoot sightings and they would scare all these Girl Scouts away and all they were coming after was the s'mores, melted marshmallow, Chocolate cookies that they were making at the campfire, but the Bigfoot would take off their mask and they're trolls that they just put on these disguises to go out and get that. And that's when this and the the person she meets is her uncle named Major Raven. Uh, boy, this another good show I did get <laughs> to do. Uh, she teamed up with her uncle and she had different powers because she was yeah, a hybrid. hybrid. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it was my ideas where there was a very big dramatic side because her grandparents were Oberon and um, out of Shakespeare. <laughs> of the, I'm trying to think of the, of the Midsummer, Night's yeah, Dream. Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, the, yeah. it was those characters. And so the idea was like, no, they are centuries old. And if you're centuries old, and you're a good guy, after a while it might get bored and maybe you turn evil a little while for a couple hundred years because that makes life interesting and then something bad happens and you reform. So at the time, it turns out, it was suggested because I never got to do the story that perhaps it was the grandfather Oberon, the king of Fairyland, although now consigned to an, an outside realm, banished. Um, who was responsible for her father's death, you know, his son's death. Uh, so there was that, but plus there was a lot of humor and, and stuff on top of it. So it would have been a much, much like the new DuckTales, more adventure and serious emotional stuff, as well as very lighthearted comedy. Um, I forgot where I, I well, started the, with that. But anyway, apparent, that was, a, that was one did, of the, oh, I know where it was. Yeah. It, so that was when the last thing as I pitched, they really liked it, but they had also just... Two weeks before, bought the pitch for American Dragon about an Asian boy who finds out he's a dragon, yeah. and I they said they're the same. And I, I, s- s- and I, I was s- just going
0: to say it does sound a bit similar to Fire Breather as well, for instance. That
1: came later, but yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, So American Dragon was, in fact, you're right, exactly. But um, I said, but, and they said it's too similar. I said, is that for sure going on the air? They said, no, no, it's the beginning of the development process. I said why not develop both? Because they're completely different shows, even though the con- And he said, no, oh, no, no, no. And it was just very silly to me, not just because it was my show, but when you're at the very beginning with just an idea, why not develop two things? Are you afraid they're both going to be fantastic? And you need to make a choice between two fantastic shows? Anyway, as much as they liked it, and that was my contract was actually extended by my last kind of by six months because of developing that or a different show, whatever. Yeah. I got a little extension, but beca- again, because I was so expensive, David statement was one of the people who just had me leave Disney. And there was people who were very shocked by it because people considered me Mr. Disney because I had started in Features and been there so long. And um, But the same executive then went to Features and Fired Ron Clemens and John Musker, and it wasn't until John Lasseter came in and said, "They're your heritage. You do not fire your heritage." But even though I knew John, it wasn't he didn't do anything with TV, so, so, so he didn't so save me. So, so I had ten years of a career yeah. after Disney where I did that the exactly Hellboy was movies was and all was that.
0: was a lot of a, well, was mostly bean counter. Probably. Mostly what a bean counter, well,
1: not. Uh, he was not a good executive. We've had all sorts. Th- and so, I mean, executives can come from a creative background. My yeah. first boss, who yeah. I, Gary Kreisel, who really, those early days of Disney, although he didn't do writing, he had a, an interpretation of what he thought with Disney. He had gone to college with Jim Magon and worked together with, in the record company, all that. So, really, that early taste was his, even though he was an executive. Um, so there's all Greg Wiseman, technically an executive, but a very creative person, and then switched over. So it's typical for people to say bean counters or suits, yeah, yeah. and it's like, no, he was just a bad, <laughs> not the right guy for the job. And so you know,
0: a- after you um, w- uh, were were asked to leave Disney, <laughs> uh, you had worked uh, with uh, Mike Mignola before on on the Atlantis, on Atlantis? that we
1: that we worked with and then I always wanted to and I said at Atlantis I said I'm never going to get to do Hellboy even though I did pitch it at Disney um we'll make the show our Hellboy show and then I had never had an agent before and uh I said okay I'm going to need one because I don't know and luckily I had so much vacation time saved up that really saved us in that first year of non-Disney because I was used to every Thursday paycheck. (laughs) And that Thursday I went (laughs) nobody was handing me a paycheck. So I had all this used up vacation time was like as if I was still getting a salary. Um, But I had to interview with agents and then I met with a a person who said, uh, what would you like to do now when an agent says that usually they're looking for what are your career goals? And I just went, you know what I'd like to do? I would like to do Hellboy as a TV show. And he smiled because he knew he had me because he was, his company was in charge of all the licensing of the Hellboy movie, which hadn't been announced yet. And they were already in talks with Cartoon Network about possibly doing a Hellboy series. So. We developed it as a series. It was very exciting and all that. And then I remember we got the news at a San Diego Comic Con that it was going forward but not as a series because they couldn't make the deal with Cartoon Network the way they wanted. Um, But it would be a series of videos, home videos. I remember Mike going, okay, I guess this is good news, (laughs) you know, because... uh, And it was, and uh, the only problem with those two Hellboy movies is the production again was so tight that they overlapped. So there wasn't a big learning curve that we could apply until the third one, which we couldn't get to do, we didn't get to do, but we wrote the script for. um, But eventually, originally there was going to be like seven of them. They had the rights for seven years, I think. Uh, but the company sold to another company and they didn't want to invest their own money in original properties. Uh, so after that, I did, yeah. I was like to do, I did like a, and a, a Brer Rabbit ad- adventures, uh, movie for universal video. And the last thing I did was, uh, on Netflix, I, I, uh, was hired to be the director of a series based on books called Kulapari, An Army of Frogs, which was very much a aboriginal tale, although it was made up. But it was a a very strange uh, situation in that it was based on these books, so I wasn't in charge of story. Even if the story didn't make sense, (laughs) or originally I was in charge of story. If it didn't make sense, I could change some things but not other things because the client was an ex-NFL football player, very large. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Did not mess with him. I remember we were sitting in my office and we both stood up at the same time and I was like this and he was still going. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, when I came on I was just supposed to be the director but I read the outline and and it made no sense at all. I said, and I'm working for a company who did years and years of animation. So it's like, how did you guys approve this? And it turned out that the client, who was funding it at the time, um, wanted the per- person that he co-wrote the book with to do the scripts. I said, okay, well, how many screenplays have they done, uh, or how many animation screenplays have they done? Because usually you'll get a live action writer perhaps, and they might not know how to do animation or get the most out of it. And they said, none. I said, well, how many regular screenplays? None. (laughs) This is their first time. And I said, well, that explains a lot. I ended up rewriting their scripts for an animated video feature uh, in one week. I had to rewrite it, just throw things out, come up with new things. And I got to write, because this wasn't my story, I wrote things I... Never written before in terms of emotional scenes and warriors and action adventure. Uh, and uh, because it's a fair, you start watching, you say, Oh, a Disney adventure. And then at the end, you go, He just stabbed that guy. <laughs> you know? It's like, What? Um, so it's worth seeing. It's just a very odd, odd show. And then they decided, instead of these movies, to break it up. But then in the second one, luckily the writers knew, they saw the changes I made, and they weren't. They rather learn from it than complain about 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 it it, and uh i had to do the same on the second one except now i'm directing the first one so it took a little longer and then the third one um at a certain point i said don't don't worry about act one i'll take what you have you finish up these i was giving a lot of notes so they're they were closer but i ended up having to rewrite things so the company lucked out hiring me as a director and getting a full-on story editor slash writer uh, then they said oh now we're breaking them up into s- instead of videos they're going to be episodes continuing episodes on Netflix but they need four more uh, episodes nice. based on this is a trilogy of books we did nine episodes to tell the first book is said, now we have two books each get two episodes each <laughs> Wow and it <laughs> okay. and uh, it was like fine and the writer said Dad, you change our stuff so much we're gonna tell them just to have you do it and I said I'm doing three movies now. <laughs> I have no time to do that. You have to take a shot at this. Absolutely. Um, so it was, it, it was fun to go out on it in that it was the new cool kids thing, Netflix, instead of syndication or, or, yeah. or network shows. Um, we didn't have notes per se, so we could do anything we wanted, although I did have this, the client to work yeah, with yeah. and the storylines. Um, But the most fun thing is I worked with a studio in Nova Scotia who did it in flash but with a lot of hand-drawn 2D animation. And as part of the process, I would see their first pencil test because they said, no, we want your notes then because it will save us money as we go along. And they really, they had done a lot of little preschool type shows so right. this was a big yeah, deal yeah, for them to yeah. do and they were very excited with me and they all love Darkwing Duck um, <laughs> even though this was not silly like that at all uh, and they spoke my language so I could have phone conversations or a Skype conversation I could see pencil tests which I hadn't worked with since I was at feature films so even though it wasn't the animation was flash at the end the effects were fantastic yeah. that they could do like we had these scorpion warriors attacking and they literally filled up a valley of scorpion warriors by repeating animation over. Yeah, sure. It's just fantastic yeah. what they did. So at least I was able to go out on a high note. Netflix loved the show. They ordered a second season, uh, which was then done when my storyboard supervisor became the director. That's yeah. Chuck Patton, who okay. worked at DC Comics back in the day, oh. created the character Vibe and and worked in on the outsiders and has a long oh, list right. of, yeah, of yeah, yeah. credits. But it was nice to go out oh, on something sure. that was yeah. flashy and big on a, on a new format.
0: So you say go, go out. Are you uh, heading into retirement?
1: Oh no, I retired <laughs> three years ago. I retired yeah. a oh, year well, early right. for ah. financial reasons. It made more sense. Sure. And uh, my original idea was always when I retired because again I loved being a storyteller. I was going to work and comic stories, um, where are you well here, well here 's the thing. Uh, I had that science fiction show, although it changed a lot. I was very excited about it i said i 'm going to do this as a comic, and I started, and my wife said you can 't spend eighteen hours a day in that little room and because my office is very little um, you 're retired and I now. said yeah well that 's the thing. I said, you know you 're right i didn 't give up a well-paying career in animation for a non-paying career in comics. <laughs> and even though I said, "Oh, I'll scale cuz I always think in terms of series because my background." I said, "Okay, I'll come up with basically it's a series of graphic novels where the first one will be the pilot in a couple episodes to establish everything." And and then I realize you have to back up because you're thinking in terms of working and and it's like, "Wait, what if it's successful? <laughs> it may be big-headed, but then they're going to want another one, and then I have a job again—a uh, low-paying job. So I then thought, what if I just self-publish it myself, as part prose and part comic? Because uh, I wouldn't have an editor, so I'd just have, I just have—I could do anything I wanted. And so—and I did like six chapters of it, where there's a lot of illustrations. And something would start in the prose, like you would. S- a character could ask a question in prose, and it would be answered in a word balloon because it's a sight gag. Right. So it would continue, and then when it got to action, you might like a, a, a spaceship crashing on a planet. You might turn a page, and there's like four pages of pure comic. But even that is a huge time sure, thing. Yeah, and what yeah. I need to do is to tell, find a story telling format that I can do and like get up early in the morning and do four hours a day sure. and then go and do all the other things I want or which is or things I don't want like clean out the garage which is still waiting for me and after the end of this vacation <laughs> I'm taking. Um, so I can just get into it, sure. be in that world and create it and it's fun for me but at the same time I've done little individual creative projects, some sculptures, some I've made steampunk hats for my grandkids uh my daughter who went to a convention with me and saw steampunk uh, stuff just took to it and she's now 11 and she said granddad that's me uh <laughs> i want to be a steampunk ballerina and i said emeryn i i don't know what that it's a good means. choice it's a good i choice, said though. i don't know what that means she goes well i'll need a jetpack so i did a steam and i posted it on facebook and you can or instagram you can scroll back and see it but it was a lot of fun i learned all these foam techniques and then i did another uh, crazy hat and and then of course my grandson said well i want a jetpack too so that's what i have to finish when i come back (laughs) Uh, and those as creative projects are fun they're not storytelling like that but it's like that was a creative endeavor. That was fun. I had never done it before. I'm learning new techniques.
0: Um, Gratifying, probably.
1: Exactly. And I I worked with, part of my career was at, not in animation, I designed rides for Epcot Center. I was in in a room a little bigger than this stage, let's say a normal little office room with Ward Kimball, a person Walt Disney had called a genius. He was one of Disney's nine old men, did Jiminy Cricket, Tweedledee, Tweedledum, uh, The Man in Space Shows. uh, He was just a great character, and working with him is like working with a time machine, not just we're working on the transportation pavilion, and it was scenes through history of transportation, and it was all just gags done in audio-animatronic figures. Well, he could remember, once we got into the car, the early cars, he knew about old cars and everything. He told me how they used to build little... Go karts or, or uh, soapbox racers, and how he would wrap a rope around the, the steering wheel, and and but obviously stories about the Disney Studio and working with Walt and the World War II, and how things were different, and and how Mickey got eyeballs instead of black dots, and and he was uh, he came out of retirement to do that, or he was still retired, but he did come in. Five days a week, I guess, at that time. But then, whenever he wanted, really. Uh, but he would do little creative things, and he told me about a painting he'd done of a watermelon slice, that with seeds, and there's a door, a little knob there, and and you look at this, it's a watermelon with these seeds that were kind of dimensional. You open the door. And there's a giant, what we call a June bug, uh, a beetle, a brown beetle there. And only then do you realize that all those seeds are little beetles, real ones, not that he sculpted, that he had mounted. He did a painting that was on a continuous loop on a rollers that would slowly change during the day and drive people crazy. He said it was <laughs> mounted behind a bar or something. So he did paintings and shows yeah. and, and he had a several full-size trains yeah. in his backyard. That's um, how you
0: want to end as well.
1: Well, it kind of. It's, a, it's sure. like about being a expressing creativity. But I do love that, that storytelling thing. And suddenly this year, I didn't do a lot of conventions, but I had two very big ones at the end, which was Dragon Con, which was last month, which is like the cosplay yeah, heaven. heaven of yeah. the world. Yeah, just they do a parade through the city of the cosplayers. Um, And then this one that I had to do so much art for that it just took up all my time. I said, I'm not going to make myself guilty about that project because I have this and a couple of jetpacks to build (laughs) uh, and hats and other things. And that garage. Exactly. Um, So it's kind of like I'm going to let that sit and try to figure things out and maybe it'll end up just being a book that's heavily illustrated and not this strange storytelling well, technique. And
0: no, you know. Nobody can say, Ted, what have you done with your life? Yeah. <laughs> you, you've <laughs>
1: you've, uh, ah, you've, you've got there. nothing yeah. left to prove. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're I do t- have, I mean, I never got credited, but uh, things were different back in the... I did start at Features. My, was I have an animated scene in the original Rescuers. They're in Medusa's pawn shop, and Bernard Mouse is going across a desk, and a cuckoo clock goes off, and he, that's my scene <laughs> <laughs> and, and then go. I did much story work on yeah. the fox and the hound but back then there were only a few cards of credits it wasn't like today where everybody gets a credit and secretaries and caterers and executives and babies who were born during it all get credits um, so I was told this is when I was working over at Imagineering I called back the student, they said, you know, you're not getting a credit. And I accepted it because all my story work was done for Wooly Reitherman, one of the nine old men, and then he was taken off the project. And the new team, I hadn't That's, done any work yeah, for them. Yeah. And I knew out of sight, out of mind. Um, it didn't bother me that I wasn't getting a credit until they gave a credit to Squeaks, the caterpillar in that show, in that he was a sound effect. <laughs> and they thought it was cute to have his name. Yeah. So it was like Squeaks as himself. Um, and I said, that's just that's just a space on a frame of film. It's a card, and you added a name. And I worked on it for these years and I don't get that little name thing, and that so that's bothered weird. me. Yeah, I but, can uh so I'd done features, did some educational films that led me to go to Imagineering. I never expected to be there. I worked with transportation, then I worked on the space pavilion which didn't get built, but uh, I got to meet George Lucas and sat across from him at lunch. And, and these were, I, I was one of the youngest guys in the room and everybody else was older executives. And I sat across from George and they were all too cool to ask. And I said, I'm sorry, all my friends at animation would kill me if I don't ask you about Star Wars. Cause this was, I think before Empire Strikes Back. Right. And he told me about the nine films that he denied yeah, after a yeah. while. And he said about the first three, he said, then this is the first three, nobody will like those. Because he said, it's all about politics and all of that. How prophetic. Um, <laughs> the, anyway, the, uh, so that was fun there. And then I helped out in live action TV as it, when I really should have been fired because I wasn't contributing much. I was just kind of a consultant. Um, and then going back to animation, again, my salary had climbed up to features. They didn't have a spot for me to you know, slip oh, back yeah, into easily. Yeah. And then a project came up in licensing that they wanted, um, they, this is back when features came out so rarely that, that um, they, wanted, they knew they had to sell toys by being on television, and they at least wanted some specials. And I pitched Mickey and the Space Pirates, <laughs> and, uh, which they loved, but didn't want to do Mickey at the time. Uh, and the other was Goofy, uh, Sport Goofy, which was a Sport was very big in Europe at the time. Um, and I came in with all these boards instead of just writing and they said, we didn't expect this much, but it really impressed some of those people, how creative I was and how fast I was and how much I could do my own. And th- some of those same people were the ones who began TV animation. So that project, yeah. even though I went back to features for a while and developed something, yeah. I actually considered leaving the company and that's and, when they said, no, no. And the guy, I happened to mention that to somebody in TV animation thinking, do you have freelance storyboard people? Because I didn't know. And I thought maybe I could make a living that way and for my soul write science fiction stories. Because I had met all sorts of science fiction writers working on the space pavilion. Um, and they said, no, no, you don't want to do that. Why don't you come over and see what's going on in TV animation? This was first season of Gummy Bears, right in the middle of it. And he took me around saying, yeah, Tad may be coming over here. And I I didn't say anything, but I'm going, what are you talking about, you know? (laughs) Uh, I'd forgotten they had wanted me since day one, because I was in the first meeting about TV animation at Michael Eisner's house on a Sunday at the end of his first week at Disney. That's how important TV was to him. Um, And so technically, I started there as an executive uh, not a bean counter, uh, <laughs> I think I was creative manager, but I had to come up with a lot of the ideas yeah. to pitch. And They wanted me to work with more outside writers, but I didn't know outside writers because I had never been out there. And I should have been calling agents, and luckily for me, I didn't. Uh, well, and I d- finally, I had to take over Gummy Bears, and that started my TV I career. Think we're,
0: uh, well, we're, we're well over the hour mark.
1: Um, more for your th- money. Th- that,
0: uh, oh. Because th- they're taping this to a CD, and a CD has 70 minutes. Ah. So, um, uh, does Play any it at g- high speed. I'll sound like <laughs> Chip and Dale. <laughs> does does um? Right, maybe they can they can switch out the CD while I ask. Does um? Anyone have any questions for Ted?
1: Or are we all? I've said everything. Chatting out that and you Tim can certainly you can certainly come to by my table and chat with me. And uh, I'm just going to ask the booth.
0: Booth, do we still have time on the CD?
1: These people have places to go. What are do you doing?
0: Yeah. Hi, Ted. Hi. Uh, can you tell us more about uh, Mickey and the Space Pirates, please?
1: That was just an original idea that was, uh, again, I had done it on animation paper like this, but I did several drawings there and just quick story thing. And the idea was, it was Mickey, Donald and Goofy, and it was... Um, Pete was an alien. Uh, all I can really remember at the time, or, or now, is... Um, It involved music weapons, like a sound thing, which is an idea that's used a lot in animation. So it created music and a rock and roll and stuff like that to create sonic weapons to fight them off. And I don't remember, but Minnie was in there as a, a, it was like uh, John Carter of Mars, she wore clothes. Um, And it was that kind of space princess thing and very much inspired by Star Wars and things like that, less militaristic, but it was basically playing with those ideas and it would, be, it would have been a half an hour. My Sport Goofy project very much was, <clears throat> I brought in Scrooge on it and developed it out and then it was given to a group of people that I was just overseeing, but originally this small group would, uh, were supposed to go on and do Roger Rabbit And that group had Joe Ranft, who was a huge uh, story person in Pixar, of course, Uh, Chris Buck, who went on to do Tarzan and Frozen, Uh, Mike Giamma, who was art director on Frozen, and many other things. So it was this fantastic group of people uh, under Daryl Van Sitters, who left Disney and did Renegade Productions. so I kind of let control of it. They took out a lot of the story of it and made it more gags. Uh, and then it, they did not do Roger Rabbit, and they went different ways. Uh, and then Features took it over, and I didn't even know about this until <laughs> it was already in work, as kind of a training project with new animators to let them try working with it, uh, getting advice from Ward Kimball, of all people. Uh, So it finally got on the air and this was before DuckTales was on and so it showed on television like whatever, sometime in the year before DuckTales and I got called into the boss's office and they were very angry because it had Scrooge, it had the nephews, it had Goofy but it did not feel like the DuckTales TV show because again they had made it all gags, they didn't worry about story, it didn't really have heart. Uh, But in the credits, it was my name and two other people who had worked on it. And so it was kind of a fun meeting for me and I'm not being uh, sarcastic. It is because they really wanted to be angry. And they said they worried that this was going to destroy. It's the opening look at DuckTales, except it wasn't. People would assume that. And I I said, oh, yeah, that got done. Really, I got a credit on it. And they're saying, yeah, your name was right big. I said. No, I worked on that this many years ago. I had nothing to do with that. So they really, really wanted to be angry with me. But I was just going like, yeah, they did it. They, they, you know, I started it, but it became something else. So that was fun for me. Okay. <laughs> because one, it was just like, th- it's very rare to be like trended. One more question. Friended. Hi. Um,
0: I wonder, uh, do you always use a light table or do you uh, use only software? And uh, which one do you prefer?
1: I'm sorry, the, use a the light table? Light ta- uh, lighting table. Or digital? I mean, the. Oh, yeah, or software? Generally, here's the thing, and, and sadly, they have me doing a workshop on tomorrow <laughs> about how to draw. I'm <laughs> like, no! Uh, one, I started animation. Animation people don't have to draw pretty because you. They draw rough. Glenn Keane used to like take a pencil and practically sculpt characters out of there because he started right after me. And I remember he'd, I said, you're cheating because he'd lick his thumb and, and smear the pencil. And it kind of gave it shadow and weight to do the thing. Um, anyway, so then when you animate, somebody else cleans it up and makes it all pretty. Uh, but yes, when you do a cleanup, you use a light table. So, up until really I retired, I drew every day on all these projects, maybe not the frog one, on, now on Netflix. Um, but the, my drawing was either, I mean, I created a villain character, a 2 a robot vampire for Buzz Lightyear, and literally I did the drawing and colored it, and now I have in my office the toy that they put out, that was exactly my design. But usually it was something sketchy to give to an artist to show them my idea and hopefully they would take more with it. Corrections on storyboards, you know, real rough drawings or gag ideas that I give to people or when I'm working on a script, I'm thinking very visually and sometimes I would do a little drawing or something like that. But I wasn't doing finished drawings. So, it wasn't until I retired and it coincided with my first invitation to a convention um, as a guest, meaning I don't have to pay my way, they pay for a plane ticket and all that. And that allowed, I, I couldn't, I had to have something on my table and I couldn't do prints because all my characters are owned by Disney. So, I had to do a lot of drawing and so you draw, you learn to draw by drawing. and you start drawing finished drawings and even inking, which I hadn't really done before. Uh, I had people, artists, who I worked for me for decades on many different shows. Wow, your drawing has really become better. And I said, maybe I should have done this 25 years ago when I was actually doing the show. But So I don't draw much at all except for conventions. This convention, I'm sure it's very good for the soul and so far, and now I'm going to go back and do ugly drawings. This morning, for the first time, I've been sketching in front of people, and so far it's been going very well. I have a lot of finished original artwork that I use a light board on. In fact, I may, often I will draw it digitally really rough, put that on a light board, do a nicer drawing um, to, to be the final original piece of artwork. Uh, Okay, last but one. Today I've, been, today I've been very brave in drawing in front of people, yeah. and so far, so good.
0: Last one, real quick.
1: Okay. Um Duck has been a very big part
0: of my childhood, but there's one thing that, that I couldn't, never could quite figure out. Um, he tries to be a superhero, but instead he keeps bumbling around, but he never gives up. Um, there's even one episode where he, where he talks to somebody who's doing his job out of a suicide. Um, what was Disney's angle on that? Was, it the, was the message like... Well, I forgot the, about the episode 2,
1: you just said it. It was... Uh, and a lot of those episodes, I look back and like I said, I'm going, what were we thinking of? Um, but generally with that show, it, was, it wasn't about Disney, it was just the idea we had at the time and how do we make this funny. And in that case, it was taking a guy who was about to commit suicide and turning him into a hero. Uh, so it was about thinking of them, the tone of Darkwing from day one was supposed to take an old Warner Brothers or Disney short subject, make it 22 minutes, give it a story, and give it Disney heart. And not all the episodes hit that well, um, but that was the goal. So there was a lack of seriousness or make a point doing funny. But really that was about a guy who thought he was so much of a nothing and then is told he's supposed to be this hero guy, uh, and Darkwing, because it's been switched up, he's supposed to go the other way. Uh, so it was purely on that sort of thing, it was a specific. But in general, in Darkwing Duck, I was anti-continuity in that. We did a... Sh- I know I'm talking too much, but uh, the original Negaduck episode, where Darkwing is split into a good and a Posiduck and Negaduck. At the end of that, we worried because our voice artist, Jim Cummings, will he, he's going to do both voices. Will it be confusing? How, will the artists mess up overseas because he looks exactly the same? Uh, it turned out not to be a problem. And I told all my story editors, I said, I love Negaduck. Let's bring him back. And they said, How do we do that? It's the same story. We have to split Darkwing. In. And I said, No, no, no. I hate Posaduck. Nobody likes Posaduck. Bring back Negaduck. Well, how do we do that? You just do it. How do we explain it? You don't. <laughs> and that was, you know, eventually we created alternate universes. Darkwing has like six origins in the series. It's because we had funny ideas for him. So thank you very much. Thank everybody. you so much. Thank you. Sorry I went so over. So.